And we're continuing in our series in the book of Jeremiah. Chapter 14 this morning. Jeremiah chapter 14. And let's ask the Lord's blessing on the reading and teaching of his word. Lord, we thank you for Jeremiah lived many, many years ago in a different culture and a different time. Some of the things he experienced, we have no concept of what he was going through. And yet, through the pages of Scripture, his experiences and your work in his life has been handed down to us for a purpose and a reason. We pray that we might discover that this morning as we open the book. We pray that your spirit might make alive to us that which you, your spirit would want to communicate to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Last winter I had some work done on the front patio of my house and as I was getting ready for summertime I noticed the sprinklers were only running through one or two of the stations of the seven stations I have sprinkling my house. So I figured, okay, well, that's some of the construction workers maybe stepped on the wires, you know, that's common, no problem. And so I went through and I checked all the ones that looked a little questionable, you know, redid the screws and wire taped them and did that. It wouldn't work. Okay. So I did all the wiring from the control box through all the seven stations that I have. Still wouldn't work. <clears throat> went to Green Thumb and I talked to a guy there. He said, well, Green Thumb is a very helpful place. And they said, oh, no, it, Mr. Travis Allen, it's your wires. So I went back and redid the wires from the control box and still wouldn't work. So I took the control box and threw it away and brought a brand new one. <laughs> still wouldn't work. So I called the company the 800 number, and she explained it to me. <laughs> Found out what the problem was. The problem was me. I didn't read the instructions right. <laughs> now, the reason I tell this experience is because many of us have similar issues when it comes to prayer. We have this intense time of prayer and nothing happens. Or we throw up a quickie prayer, just Lord bless me and boom, the heavens open and, and the heavens, you know, just can't contain the blessings of God. We pray for somebody who's sick and they get worse. <laughs> we're, we're praying and having trials, multiplied trials, and then we look across at our neighbor who never prays and he seems to be just coasting through life without any problems. Hmm. Well, if uh, that's you, I'm, you'll be glad you're here. And I'm glad you're here. Because sometimes we get to the place with prayer as we want to... Maybe, maybe 8 o'clock tonight, we'll all open our windows and stick our head out of the window and yell, Would somebody please explain prayer to me? 
well, your pastor doesn't have all the answers. But I want to kind of walk through the prayers that are of, jo- of uh, Jeremiah that are here. Kind of walk through the experience along with several other New Testament passages. Hopefully not to explain uh, this thing called prayer. But to hopefully help us to be a little bit more consistent in our prayers. So let's take a look. Jeremiah chapter 14. We'll kind of look at the overall structure of the chapter and then look at some New Testament passages. First, verses 1 through 6, where we see the context, the context of Jeremiah's prayer that he off, prayers that he offers up. That which came to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah in regard to the drought. Judah mourns, her gate languishes, they sit on the ground in mourning. And the cry of Jerusalem has ascended. And their nobles have sent their servants for water. They have come to the cisterns and found no water. They have returned with their empty vessels empty. They have been put to shame and humiliated. They cover their heads. Because the ground is cracked, there's been no rain on the land. The farmers have been put to shame. They have covered their heads. For even the doe in the field has given birth only to abandon her young. Because there is no grass. And the wild donkeys stand on the bare heights. They pant for air like jackals. Their eyes fail, for there is no vegetation. The context of the prayer that we're looking at is there's a drought, a terrible drought, terrible time going on. Um, The rich people send their servants to the cisterns, which are large carved out areas in in the rock that they use for water. And all the water is gone. There's no water. The farmers are... Can't farm, they can't raise their crops because there's been no rain. And even the animals are, uh, are wasted. Now, oftentimes, uh, our prayers get much more intense and much more magnified when we're going through difficulties. Have you seen that in your life? Now, that's not a criticism. That's just a statement of fact. When bad times come, we have a tendency to pray and pray with more fervency. That's the context of what what's happening here with our friend Jeremiah. Let's take a look at the first prayer and the Lord's answer found in verses 7 through 12. Although our iniquities testify against us, O Lord, act for thy name's sake. Truly our apostasies have been many. We have sinned against thee. Thou hope of Israel, its savior in times of distress. Why art thou like a stranger in the land or like a traveler who has pitched his tent for a night? Why art thou like a man dismayed, like a mighty man who cannot save? If thou art in our midst, O Lord, and we are called by thy name, do not forsake us. Thus says the Lord to this people, even so, they have loved to wander, they have not kept their feet in check, therefore the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and call their sins to account. So the Lord said to me, do not pray for the welfare of this people, When they fast, I'm not going to listen to their cry. When they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I'm not going to accept them. Rather, I'm going to make an end of them by the sword, famine, and pestilence. Jeremiah's first prayer, the Lord's answer, is found in these verses. And he says, listen, don't do it because we're faithful. Do it for your name's sake, that your name would get honor. Do this, hear my request, that your name might be honored. And the Lord says to him, not going to happen. 
It's not going to happen. Matter of fact, he tells them, don't pray for the welfare of this people. This is the, what? The third time he's told them. He told them in verse chapter 7, verse 16, chapter 11, verse 14. And here he tells them the third time, stop praying for the welfare of these people. I'm going to bring judgment on them. Okay. Jeremiah's second prayer and the Lord's answer. Verse 13. But ah, Lord God, I said, look, the prophets have been telling them they will not see the sword, nor will they have a famine, but I will give you lasting peace in this place. Then the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying falsehood in my name. I have neither sent them nor commanded them to spoken to them. They are prophesying their false vision, divination, futility, and the deception of their own mind. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who are prophesying in my name, although it was not I who sent them, yet they kept saying there will be no sword, famine in this land, by sword or famine, those prophets shall meet their end. The people also whom they are prophesying will be thrown into the streets of Jerusalem because of the famine, the sword, there will be no one to bury them, neither their wives, their sons, their daughters, I shall pour out their own wickedness on them. And you are to say this word to them, that my eyes flow with tears night and day. Let them not cease, for the virgin daughter of my people has been crushed with a mighty blow, with a sorely infected wound. If I go to the country, behold, those who are slain with the sword, or I enter the city, behold, disease and famine, for both the prophet and the priest have gone roving about in a land where they do not know. Jeremiah prays a second time. This he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Lord, there's some mitigating factors. There's a mitigating factor here. The prophets are teaching that this, everything's going to be okay. That's his prayer. And the Lord's answer is, hey, listen, just because you're receiving false information from somebody does not negate the fact that you're responsible to do what's right. Jeremiah's third prayer and the Lord's answer, beginning in verse 19. Thou hast completely rejected Judah? Or hast thou loathed Zion? Why hast thou stricken us so that we are beyond healing? We waited for peace, but nothing good came. For a time of healing, but behold terror. We know our wickedness, O Lord, the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against thee. Do not despise us for thy name's sake. Do not disgrace thy throne of thy glory. Remember and do not annul thy covenant with us. Are there any among the idols of the nations who give rain? Or can the heavens grant showers? Is it not thou, O Lord God? Therefore we hope in thee, for thou art the one who has done all these things. So Jeremiah prays again, and his answer is found. The Lord answers in verse 1 of chapter 15. Then the Lord said to me, Even though Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not be with this people. Send them away from my presence and let them go. So this time, the third time, Jeremiah prays, and he says, For thine own name's sake, because of the temple, the, the throne of your glory, because of your covenant you've made, remember these people, save them. And you're the one who provides rain and, and the good things of this earth. Let these be the reason you rescue them. And the Lord says, even if Moses and Samuel, two of the great intercessors of the Hebrew Scriptures, even if they were to ask, the answer is still not going to happen. Okay, Jeremiah's three prayers and three answers from the Lord. They're saying, well, Neil, at this point, this is not real encouraging. Why? 
Why go through this whole process if the answer is no? Well, that's why we want to take a look. Because we want to take pull back and look at some other scriptures. And I pulled out five New Testament scriptures we're going to look at really quickly. And there's more scriptures in the New Testament that deal with prayer. But I've chosen five that apply to Jeremiah's situation. Okay? So that's why we're looking at these. So you want to kind of keep your uh, bulletin in uh, chapter 14 and turn with me first to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Most of us are fairly familiar with this. This is Jesus' prayer. Jesus' prayer, Gethsemane. Verse 36, chapter 26. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. And he said to them, My soul was deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little bit beyond them, fell on his face and prayed, My father, if it possible, this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he came to the disciples, found them sleeping, and said to Peter, You could not watch with me for an hour? Keep watching and praying, that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, thy will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy, and left them again, and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Jesus prays three times. And essentially what he's saying is, if there's any way we can accomplish what we've come here to do, if there's any way this can happen, uh, apart from me going through that which I know is coming, which was his arrest, his unfair trial, his scourging and beating, and his crucifixion. He says, if there's any other way, I'll take it. (laughs) I'm really not looking forward to this next 24-hour period. I'm not looking forward to this at all, if there's any other way. But, did you notice also, he said, but if not, your will be done. Jesus was consistent with what he had done from the very beginning of his ministry, which was what? Always yielding to the will of the Father. Always yielding. He was always yielding to the will of the Father. Now, he expressed some of his concerns, some of the things that he was concerned about, but in the end he said, but God, may your will be done. So the first issue that we look here is the issue of the Lord's will. The Lord's will. Now, in Romans 8.28, it says, For we know that God causes all things to work together for the good. Isn't that what we say? That's a favorite verse. What's the problem? We don't always see the good in the situation that we find ourselves praying about. Now, put yourself in Jesus' shoes. The next 24 hours when he was praying that prayer, he didn't see a lot of good coming down the pike for him, did he? He didn't see a lot of good coming down. And that's the same with us. Oftentimes, we're consumed uh, by the not good situation we find ourselves in. But Romans 8.28 says that God causes some of the things, a few of the things, 
Now, is that what it says? Now, he calls all things together to work together for the good. Now, let me ask you a question. Why would we not want God's will? When would be the time when we would not want God's will? The only thing I can think of is when we want what we are focused here on earth to come about. If we want to pass by this suffering, we want to accept that. We don't want God's will when we have our eyes focused on what we want. We, we can claim Roman, Romans 8.28 all we want. The question is, do you really, really want God's will or do you want what you want? And that's the bottom issue. Even as good as your prayer is, you know, you can put together this wonderful concept of how you think your situation should work out. You've got it. You've got it in the bag. It's all. Yes, this is the way the Lord should do it. And it's good. You've got even got Bible verses. But the question in the bottom at the bottom and the, the end of the day is what? What does God want to do? Now, I remember for years, Pastor Jimmy and I, when we were meeting in Mission Vale High School, we prayed and finagled. We tried our best to figure out a way to get out of that high school building and into our own building. Rented building, purchases building. We did everything. We went around all the board and we just tried to figure it out. And it didn't happen. And then I thought, I look around this morning. God, uh, God had a, a lot better plan than Pastor Jimmy's plan or my plan or Norm's plan or anybody else's plan here in the leadership. See, he will work all things together for the good. Even in fact, when it seems to go against everything that you're experiencing right now. The question is, do you really, really believe Romans 8.28 or do you want what you want? Okay. The issue of the Lord's will. Issue of faith. Turn with me to Matthew 15. Matthew 15. This is the story of Jesus and the Canaanite woman. Matthew 15:21. Jesus went from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Zidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman came out from that region and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. Didn't answer her word. His disciples came to him and asked him, saying, Send her away. She's shouting after us. He answered again, I was sent only the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him and said, Lord, help me. He answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, your faith is great. Be it done to you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Here we have the issue of faith. Three times she came to Jesus. Three times. His response was, first of all, he just didn't say a word to her. Then the second response was, well, I've only been sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Then the third response almost could be a racial slur. 
uh, where he says, uh, it's good, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, the Gentile dogs. That's the idea there. So three times she comes and she pushes past all the things that are blocking her. And she keeps pushing because one, for two reasons. One, she knows who Jesus is. He's the Lord, the son of David. And two, she knows what Jesus can do. And Jesus, when he sees her faith, says this. O woman, your faith is great. And he grants their request. She wouldn't be deterred because her faith was in who Jesus was and what he could do. Now, oftentimes there's two mistakes made here when we start talking about faith. It's not our faith. It's not our faith that heals us. It's Jesus. But he calls us to trust him. He calls us to believe him. And the second problem that we often have is God's plan is always better. God's plan is always better. So we have the issue of faith. We have the issue of the Lord's will, and we have the issue of faith. Now, in uh, James chapter 1, verse 5, it says that if you come to God, you must what? Ask in faith. In faith. And sometimes people think, well, that's I've got to hyperventilate my mind to a place where I really believe. I really, really, I really, 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 really believe. He's, he's not talking about that. If you look at James chapter 1, he's talking about the consistency of your faith. Are you a man or a woman of faith? Or are you a double-minded man? A double-minded person is a person who's one day in the church and having a wonderful time raising their hands, and the next day is down with the prostitutes, the whores, and drinking. What kind of life? Are you living a life of faith? Are you a Christian? And James goes on. He says, let that not that man, that's a double-minded man, think that he will receive anything from the Lord. See, it's a question of faith. So we have an issue of faith. Then Luke 11. Luke 11. Turn there with me. Luke 11. Jesus' disciples see him praying, and so they ask him uh, to help them with a prayer life. And here we have the issue of what I call shamelessness. Verse 5. Jesus tells a story, and he said, um, Suppose one of you shall have a friend, and you shall go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come from the journey, and I have nothing to set it before him. And from inside he shall answer and say, Do not bother me, the door has already been shut, my children are in bed, and I cannot give up and give you anything, get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend... Yet because of his persistence or shamelessness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. This is one time I kind of disagree with the translation of the New American Standard, 
which is far better translation than all the other translations. But uh, here it, it renders persistence. And I read that they, they render that word persistence because of the context, verse 9. But if you look in the lexicon, the word really means shame. Just, just be bold. And how do I know that? Well, look at the story. The story is, he would have never gone to this person if he didn't have a close, real close relationship. This guy was his friend. And he could ask the most ridiculous request, like coming in the middle of the night and saying, hey, give me some bread. He knew they were all asleep. When would you do that? You do that because you have this close personal relationship with someone. That's the point Jesus was saying. Now, I have a close personal friend. I've been with, in ministry for 20 years, Pastor Steve DeNicola of Calvary Foothill Ranch. And we have that kind of relationship. He, he, come and he asked me some of the craziest things. And I asked, if I can do it, I do it. Why? Because we're good friends. Do you have somebody like that? You can ask them almost anything. And they'd probably say, Man, I think I can pull it off. That's the point Jesus is making. Do you have the kind of relationship with Jesus that you can ask the most outlandish things and think, well, possibly he could answer it. That's the point he's talking about. Be absolutely bold or shameless in your request. Why? Not because of your righteousness, but because you've got a close personal relationship with Jesus. And he's your friend. And you can ask him those things. That's the point. Now, in verse 9, however, he gets to perseverance. Look what he says. And I say to you, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. Here we have the issue of persistence. Jesus says three ways he expresses prayer. Asking, seeking, knocking. Be persistent. In your prayer. We've looked at these scriptures. We see the Lord's will. We see the issue of faith. We see the sense of shamelessness. Being bold in what you're asking. But also being persistent in your prayers. Now, look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's here's a prayer of Paul. Paul has the, um, remember, the thorn in the flesh. Remember that? And he comes and he prays to God. Now, look what he says. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. And, because, and he's talking about he had a revelation. And it was a pretty great revelation. Some believe that Paul was taken to heaven and he saw the things in heaven. Okay. And he says, and because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason to keep me from exalting myself... There was given me a thorn in the flesh. There was something, he's had physical ailment to kind of humble him. A messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast in my weakness that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Now, have you noticed something as we've been going through this list of things? 
Jeremiah in our chapter prayed three times. See that? Remember that? He was told three times not to pray for the welfare of the people. Hmm. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed three times. Hmm. The Canaanite woman prayed three times. We're told to ask, seek, and knock three times. Then, here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul prays that his thorn in the flesh might be taken away from him. How many times did he pray? Three times. Aha. We've discovered the secret for answered prayer. I can see, I can see a book. The power of three. The power of three. And I could title it, uh, Discovering the Mystery of Answered Prayer by Pastor Neil Trevisano. No, 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 no. We're not going to do that. What's, what's the point? Being persistent. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. They're in the present tense. Knock and keep on knocking. Persistent in your prayer. Now, did you notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul prays and the Lord said no. What did he say? My grace is sufficient. God will give you the grace to get through that which you're facing. Many times he'll say, no, I'm not going to do this for you. But I'll give you the grace to do it. Why? Notice he goes on. He says, because power is perfected in weakness. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What does he mean by that? Well, in his suffering, it was evident that if anything was going to happen, it was happening through who? The power of God. That's what Paul was saying. I can be powerful, but it's God because I am, you know, I've got this physical problem, but it's, it's evident that it's not me, it's God. Now think about Jesus. Jesus did not heal the world, listen carefully, through his teaching, through his word, through his miracles. How did he heal the world and how is he healing the world even today <laughs> through his weakness through his death and suffering and resurrection as powerful as his teaching was as powerful as his healing ministry was as powerful as his parables all those things are wonderful but it was the death and resurrection of Christ that brought healing to this world is that not true power is perfected in weakness when Jesus surrendered his will even though he wasn't looking forward to it, then and only then was the power in the kingdom of God established. Okay, last scripture, First uh, Timothy two twenty, First Timothy two five, real quick. First Timothy two five says, "For there is one mediator and one mediator also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus." Remember back in. Uh, Jeremiah 14, 
Not even Moses or Samuel. What is, what is prayer all about? It's all about Jesus. It's not, you can get the pastor, maybe get Pastor Chuck to pray for you. That's wonderful. That's great. But it's all about what? Jesus. The secret to prayer is in Jesus. He says, if you abide, if my words abide, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done to you, done for you. The prayer, the prayer that's prayed, abiding in Jesus, is that what she's looking for? Hmm. The power to accept when the Lord says no, or the Lord says wait, or the Lord says nothing. The power to do that is found when you are in Jesus. You see, it's all about Jesus abiding in him, in his word, in us. Okay. My dear friend Mark Weaver, who uh, before he moved up uh, to Prescott, uh, was an associate here at Calvary, and he sent me this email. The email is entitled, How Moses Got the Ten Commandments. This is from Mark. One day God went to the Arabs and said, I have some commandments for you. You'll make your lives better. The Arabs asked, What are commandments? There are rules for living. Well, can you give us an example? Thou shalt not kill. Not kill, we're not interested. He went to the Germans. He said, I have some commandments. He says, well, could you give us a commandment? Thou shalt not work on the seventh day. Not work, we're not interested. He went to the Italians. He said, I have some commandments. The Italians wanted an example. And the Lord said, thou shalt not steal. Not steal, we're not interested. He went to the French. I have some commandments. The French wanted an, wanted an example. And the Lord says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Not commit adultery. We're not interested. Finally, he went to the Jews. He said, I have some commandments. And they said, Commandments? How much are they? They're free. We'll take ten. <laughs> there. That should offend just about everybody. <laughs> now, I wish life was so simple, you know, you could put things in boxes, you know, like, we know the Jews are this way, the French are this way. They, it, you know, life isn't that way, is it? And especially when you talk about prayer, you can't put it in a box. As much as you try to put it in a box, it doesn't work. Why? Because you can't put God in a box. You can't put him in a box. You can't make a set of rules and figure God out. It doesn't work that way, God, that way. You know what, what prayer is all about? Prayer is about two things. One, it's about you becoming more like Jesus. That's the bottom line. That is the bottom line. It's working sanctification in your life, becoming less and less like you and more and more like Jesus. And God will... Uh, say no to you or say yes to you based on his plan to make you more like Jesus. That's the bottom line for you. Now, second of all, prayer is about the KOG. KOG. What's the KOG? It's about the kingdom of God. 
He is bringing the kingdom of God to this world. And Christ will reign from Jerusalem and he will do that. And as long as your prayer is in line with what he's doing, by his grace he might grant it to you. But in the end, his kingdom will be established. And we need, we need to get on his plan and on his train. And that's all I have to say about prayer. Pray with me. Lord, every time we try to figure you out and get it all in a neat little theory or plan or way that we can figure out how we can manipulate you to do our will, we eventually come to a problem because you're much bigger than us and your thoughts are not our thoughts and your ways are not our ways. But we know two things. That you care for us. You love us. And you love us so much that you want to change us. Help us yield to that. We know that you love this planet. And you want to change this planet to be what originally it should have been. And so we want to yield ourselves to that. Thank you for Jeremiah and scriptures that we've looked at this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.